Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your family, and we ask that you, you would be with us this morning. We pray that your people might be diligent students of your word. We pray that they might hear the word, and that they might search the scripture to see what is true. And then we pray that your Holy Spirit might apply what is true to their lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Back in the Stone Age, when I was in school, my friend Fred and I took shop class, wood shop and metal shop. I don't know, they still have those today? They do. But at the beginning of the semester, the teacher would come up with something and he'd say, this is what you're going to do this semester, and we'd all be all excited about what we we're going to do. It's usually a, a lamp or a uh, bird feed or something like that. And then he would give instructions and then he'd go around and give encouraging words to each one of us. He'd come to me and tell me what I needed to do and i said, can do. He'd go to Fred and Fred would say, yabba dabba do. Oh, this. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's that? God will forgive me? <laughs> Thank you. George will give you $5 for that. <laughs> now I lost my place. Anyhow, at the end of the semester, we would give our projects to the front, and he would put them all scattered out. And uh, Actually, before the end, of, end though, he would, the last piece of advice he gave to me was, he had a frown on his face and said, I think what's going to help you on this is put three little grooves in the bottom. And so I did, and then, as I said at the end, we put all our projects out, and everybody came and oohed and awed at the beautiful uh, bird feeders and the lamps, and there was one ashtray with a light socket on the top. Anyhow, there are many verses in the Bible that talk about using your hands to build things. In particular, there are many verses about a potter, potter and clay. It's referred to in the book of Isaiah, in Romans, in Job, in Psalms, and Jeremiah. And it's interesting, these different writers from different backgrounds, they must have seen a potter at work at all, at all times, because they were very common back in those days. You'd walk down the street and there, there would be potters all everywhere, because pottery was very important. And so they all wrote about pottery, and their different backgrounds. David was a, a king. Job was a rich man. Paul was a Pharisee. And Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> oh, you guys are better than that. I was afraid a lot of you guys would, that would go over your head because you're younger than that. But you guys are as old as I am. Oh, no, not that old. Today, I'd like for us to look at one of those passages, Jeremiah chapter 18. <clears throat> this message from Jerry that Jerry gives us here is in the form of a parable. Now, a parable is an inter interesting form of, of speech. It's, it's actually a combination of two Greek words. One means to throw, and the other one means alongside of. The idea is that you throw something familiar, and then you throw something unfamiliar beside it. And as you understand the, un the familiar, it would help you to understand the unfamiliar. You understand what I'm saying? 
The, the, the common description of a parable is, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, to understand a parable, this, this parable, let's look at the components in Jeremiah chapter 18. The first component of this parable is the clay, verse 4. Now, the immediate context of these verses indicates that it's talking about nations. Uh, and, and as you interpret scripture, you always, you always interpret by the, the first thing you do is make sure it fits with the, the uh, context, the immediate context, and also the context of the entire Bible. Now, the immediate context says it's about nations, but as you look at the entire Bible, a lot of the talks about pottery and potters refer to the clay as people. So this could mean either, this could be referred to either as nations or as individuals like us. And today we're going to take it that way. After the clay has been extracted from the ground, it was brought to the workshop where it was left lying on the ground for several weeks to weather it. The potter would then go by every so often and remove from the clay, remove pebbles and any impurities that he saw that he thought would interfere with his work. He then puts the clay in a trough filled with water. He stirs it up, and again he looks for pebbles and impurities, which he removes and throws away. After a while, he, you'd think he was almost done, but then he climbs into the trough of water, and he begins to stomp on the clay, softening it up, making it pliable. And again, he removes pebbles from the clay, all the while singing, Na, 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 na. Hey. hey, 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 yeah. I'm from the 60s. I don't know if you guys caught that yet. The age of good music. Eventually, after he stomped on it a little while, the clay was pliable enough that he picks it up and he puts it on a spinning wheel. The potter then immediately places his hands on the clay and he begins to mold it into the shape that he wants it to be. The clay is just a lump of dirt, ordinary material, ordinary people, no inherent beauty, no inherent ability to change the world, just people who are capable of receiving and retaining the potter's work and his design. All the clay needs to do is to remain flexible and pliable to the pressure of the potter's hands. If we resist the potter's hands, this resistance acts like a stone in a piece of clay that will not yield to this potter's skillful hands. And so the work is marred, it is spoiled, it is corrupted, as verse five, 4 says, and so it has to be reworked. So why does clay resist the potter's hands? Why do we resist God's work in us? When God made us, he did not want to have robots, so he gave us free will. We can choose whether to respond to him or not. Our freedom ensures that we are not robots. It makes us human. However, so in a sense, it's good. However, it's also a terrible thing because now we are capable of saying no to the almighty God. And too often we do. 
Perhaps we've been marred by some secret sin that we refuse to give up. Perhaps lust or pride has taken over us. Perhaps someone has hurt us and we refuse to forgive them. These things can fester inside and they become like stones in a piece of pottery and defeats the purpose of the potter. Although God allows us, human beings, to have freedom to make moral choices, he still is sovereign over us. He still has control of the universe, and that includes us. He does not give up on us. His desire is to give us every opportunity to use our freedom to choose to become pliable in his hands so that he can mold us into his image. As our lives go round and round, as we experience success, failure, joys, grief, peace, chaos, victory, and defeat, through all of this, the potter's hands never leave us. At every turn of the wheel, he keeps his hands on us. If the clay resists the potter's hands, for whatever reason, the potter cannot mold it into the vessel, vessel that he has in mind. He may need to start over again, and so he does. He returns the clay that he's been working with that has now rebelled. He returns it to a lump of clay again, and then he begins to remold it again. He does not give up. He never gives up on his plan to conform us to his image. The remolding of the clay may hurt, may seem to cause us pain, but in the end, we're going to find that it was worth it. The potter will never give up on us. He knows our potential. But we must cooperate with the potter and allow him to control us. This reminds me of olden days, even beyond when I was born. Back in the days when they rode around in horse and buggies, and I'm not talking about Amish country either, but there was a young couple and they were riding through the dark and they came across the narrow part of the road and it was very dangerous and the wife got excited and she grabs one of the reins from her husband. He immediately gave her the other one and she protested. You know I can't control these horses. He replied, then you must make a choice. Either give me the total rein, all the reins of, this horse, of these horses or you can try to control it yourself. We both cannot drive them at the same time. We must give God control of our lives totally. We need to give our potter control of every area of our life so that he can mold us and complete his plan for us. Now the second component of this parable is the wheel. And we've been hinting about what that is. Verses 1 through 3. The wheel is circumstances of life. It just spins round and round. Life just keeps going round and all kinds of things happen around in circles. But the potter's hand never leaves the clay. However, too often the spinning of the circumstances of life cause us to forget that the potter has us in his hands. To the clay, the spinning of the wheel and the pressure of the potter hand, potter's hands may seem random. And, and actually, they may hurt a little bit. But the potter is in complete control, and he has a good goal in mind. 
He knows, where he's, he knows what he's molding. He, know, he has a plan for them. As Jeremiah later says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, plans of good to give you hope and a future. No matter what happens to you, the potter remains at the wheel, transforming every situation, shaping us for service in his kingdom, making sure his good plans for us are fulfilled as we become like him. Final component of the parable is the potter himself. And again, we've already mentioned that. It's God. God is our potter, verses 4 through 10. This component has three parts that we must not forget. First, God our potter has a plan in mind for us. His plan is to mold us into his image. His plan is better than anything we can dream up for ourselves. He will never give up on us. He will never remove his hands from our lives. As verse 4 says, if he has to, he will repeatedly remold us until his goal is reached. The Bible is filled with examples. God took a shepherd boy and molded him into a king. God took a grumbling fisherman and molded him into the early church leader. He took an escaped killer who was dull of speech and molded him into the leader of the nation. And most importantly, he molded himself into the image of a human being so that he could die on the cross for us. It says here, he molds us until it pleased him. This phrase is rather interesting too. It means, till we are aligned with his plan. The, the, the word means to be aligned with a plan. God has a plan for your life. And he's going to mold you until you are aligned with that plan that he has for you. His plan may not seem good to us at the time as we spin round and round, as we realize that we are going in the opposite direction as the world goes. But the all-knowing potter, who is God, knows what is best for us. He has a plan for us. Secondly, Not only has he got a plan for us, he has the patience to complete that plan. The whole work of a potter takes a lot of patience. He patiently removes impurities from the clay. Then he begins to patiently mold the clay. After the clay is molded into the desired shape, God the potter takes the clay to a furnace, which we haven't mentioned yet, but we will now where he continues to show his patience. The pots are stacked inside the furnace, and they are baked. The clay in the furnace requires just the right temperature. You know, and that was rather interesting when you think about the time that he's talking here. They didn't have thermometers back then. They had to patiently watch it. I watched a um, TV show called Time Team, it's about some archaeologists, and one of the scenes in that is one of the time they, they did some pottery. And, and the potter shows him patiently watching the fires until he says a certain color of the flames would indicate that it's a certain temperature. He knows when to place the molded clay into the furnace. That takes a lot of patience. If it's baked at too low of a temperature, the pot will easily crack. 
and not be of any use. Will not have the strength to do any jobs. Different temperatures are required for different types of pottery. For simple everyday pottery, the temperature has to be hot enough for the pot to put it, for the pottery to glow red. The temperature has to be about 1,472 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's just for a simple piece of pottery. For decorative stoneware, a little higher class, the temperature of the furnace has to be around 2,300 degrees. For porcelain, the temperature is between 2,400 and 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. High temperatures are used for the best pottery. The higher the temperature, the better the pottery. Proper temperature has to be patiently maintained then for two to three days. Again, in that show, showed, showed the potter, he had to stay up all night, all day, never went to sleep for two to three days. He kept his eyes on the flames, making sure the temperature remains constant. And that's what God does for us. He knows exactly when to take us out of the furnace. In each case, the fire changes the chemical composition of the clay, and in essence, the clay becomes stone. God, our potter, is patient with us as he forms us into his image. Since each of us is different, since each of us have different experiences, he is going to have to do different things for us. His work in us is going to be different than the guy sitting next to us. But in both cases, he's forming something in the image of Christ. The potter knows exactly when to take the vessel out. God, our potter, is patient with us as he forms us into his image. He patiently molds us to fit his plan for us. And now, the third component of God, our potter, is that he's all-powerful. I read a story once about this tow truck driver. He was hauling up a car up a hill, and he had a real hard time doing it. Finally, he made it to the top. The tow truck driver said, wow, I was beginning to think we'd never make it to the top. The driver of the car said, I know what you mean. I was concerned, too. I thought we might drift back, so I kept the brake on. <laughs> we, the clay, often have good, with good intentions, interfere with God's work in our lives. We do not understand what God is doing. Too often, we, we, we use our free will to actually put brakes on the work that he's doing. And so we hinder him. Usually, we're so caught up with life that we take control away from God since we think that we know better than him. But God will never give up on us. He has the power to crush any piece of pottery that is marred. He has the power then to remold that pottery, that same lump of clay, into a new vessel. Verses 4 through 6. He has the power to pronounce judgment on any vessel that rejects him and his work in them. Verse 7. He has the power to forgive 
and those who repent of their wickedness. Verse 8, he has the power to choose people to build into a great and blessed nation. Verse 9, he has the power to withdraw that blessing if that nation turns away from him. Verse 10. Now, let me summarize what we've looked at today. You are born like a piece of clay on an endless hillside. You are no different than those around you. And one day the potter comes through and he removes you. He takes you up away from everybody else and he sets you aside. He has a special purpose in mind. He then takes you to a trough of water where he dumps you in. He then stirs you up, picks out rocks and impurities that were, were part of your life since the day you were born and had become precious to you. These pebbles were then thrown away. Finally, he begins to stomp. He stops this process and you breathe a sigh of relief, but he's not done with you yet. He now steps into the trough of water with you and he begins to stomp on you, making you pliable. And, and he removes more pebbles. Eventually he stops, he climbs out of the water and he picks you up and he throws you onto a spinning wheel where a centrifugal force seems to threaten to pull you apart. But your situation changes even more as he puts his hands on you and uses the spinning wheel of your life and the pressure of his hands to mold you into what he wants you to be. But in confusion, you resist. He stops, and you hear him say, that's not what I want. So he makes you into a lump of clay again, and he begins the process all over again. But he never gives up on you. He molds you into what he desires you to be. After a while, he stops and smiles, and you were relieved. He picks you up and puts you into a hot furnace where you stay for two to three days under the burning heat. And you begin to wonder, will it ever end? What is the purpose of it all? However, during this whole process, you notice that his eyes have never left you. And in fact, you have a strange feeling that there's somebody there in the furnace with you. Finally, he takes you out, and you are amazed. As you look at yourself, you realize you're not just some lump of clay anymore. He took away all those precious things from you, and then now, and in fact, you're not just a lump of clay, you are in the image of the potter himself. He took all those troubles and pains out of your eyes, uh, out of your life, and he molded you. He took every opportunity to transform you into the image of himself. The potter then takes you to live with him. There you are. You can experience all the blessings he has to offer. A life filled with love, joy, and peace. And that will last forever. Never forget that in God's eyes, you are, very, you are worth more 
than you ever realize. No matter how small and how insignificant you may think you are, in God's eyes, small lumps of clay can be molded into large, valuable masterpieces. God the potter considers you to be very, very valuable. In conclusion, first, never forget, the safest place in life to be is to be in God's hands. He is waiting for you to yield to him, to his love, and allow him to fulfill his plan for your life. Secondly, if you've given yourself to God, never forget, as Romans 8 says, nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of God. You can do anything you want. God isn't going to give up on you. He's going to keep his hands on you. He's going to continue his work in you because he loves you. Thirdly, when you feel like you've been thrown into a furnace, you feel like you have no hope, remember in the book of Daniel, Daniel's three friends, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow, <laughs> they were thrown into a furnace as well. And they made a discovery. They were not alone in the furnace. God was there with them. God never changes. If he goes through the furnace for them, he's going to be there for you as well. He has a plan for you. He, and he will be with you no matter what trouble you may find yourself in. Do you, find your, you feel like you're in a furnace of trouble, problems? Are you walking through a time of fire in your life? Know that God is still with you. He can even use the hottest fires to make you into something precious. Remember, the hotter the furnace, the finer the pottery. Fourthly, <clears throat> know that you are not worthless. You are valuable. You are loved by the Almighty. And he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He puts his hands on you and he keeps them there as he molds your life into something that is precious. So don't give up on yourself and don't give up on him. Allow him to mold you into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for your work in our lives. We pray that we would never forget that you are the great potter, that you love us with an everlasting love, and that you are forming us into your image. Help us to be moldable in your hands. In your name, amen.